you know. I would tell you guys a joke about noble gases, but most are gone. <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys really must be noble gases because there wasn't much of a reaction to that. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, stop. Welcome back to another episode of Science Unscripted. If you hadn't realized, we're going to be talking about gases today. Yeah. Okay. So, start off, um, I just want to say thank you for everyone who's been listening. We've gotten some more listeners and that's just awesome. It's really, really cool to see. So, thank you guys. I really appreciate you guys being out here and listening to the science of just, well, I mean, everything that we talk about. But thanks for being a new fan of Science Unscripted. So, I hope you guys continue to listen and I hope you guys are um, enjoying whatever I have to talk about. So yeah, so getting right into it. So gases, they are described by having no definite size or shape and will fill any closed container or take the volume of any container they're in. So basically gases are one of the three phase states that they're solids, liquids, and gases. Now gases and liquids are actually pretty similar, except for there's a little bit of difference between um, gases can fill any volume um, and they are able to be condensed, whereas liquids cannot. So gases and liquids, they kind of have a continuity, but major difference is the distance between the particles and the fact that gases can be condensed. Okay. So, starting off, the kinetic molecular theory. So now it's called a theory. I think of it more as like a description because it's more like describing the kinetic theory, like the kinetic molecular arrangement of like gases, but it is a theory. Okay, so um, this consists saying that gases consist of a vast number of molecules moving chaotically in all directions and colliding with one another in the walls of that container. So in this description, molecules are distributed randomly in space about an averaged, um, basically, movement determined by the gas temperature. So temperature is the description of the average kinetic energy of the gas particles, or of any particles, really. It's not, so not saying that each particle has that velocity or that kinetic molecular energy, but it's saying that, like, you can picture, like, a curve, and some are going to be at the lower end of the curve, moving at a slower temperature, but some will be higher, and then you got, like, this middle edge, this, like, Kind of think of it like if you guys ever had like the empirical rule, like there's that bell-shaped curve, um, the average will be like the, um, basically kind of like around the middle, basically the average particle um, velocity, that's going to be the average kinetic energy, and it, that would be corresponding to the temperature. So kind of that's what temperature is, if you've never realized that, that's really cool. So pressure exerted by the gas in this description is the result of the innumerable impacts of the molecules of on the container walls. So force is um, basically just pressure, sorry, pressure is the force applied per area. Now it's a perpendicular force on the wall. Basically when they hit that wall, they hit it and they impact some of their momentum upon it, which leaves a perpendicular force on the wall. And what happens is that the pressure is actually the sum of all of those forces divided by the area. So kind of like finding like the, pr the pressure is finding the force in one area. So the, gr the greater the area um, at a constant force will mean less pressure. And the greater the force at a smaller area will mean more pressure. So if you think about it, when you are, um, so, oh, okay, here's a good example. You know how you can impact the same amount of pressure? Like if I'm pushing down on a pin, it'll be able to break through things because it's exerting more pressure because it's the same amount of force, but in a smaller area. However, if I'm just pushing down with my hand, I can't break through those things. Like say it's a table. My pin can go right through that table. Or I mean, it will with a specific amount of force. But if I'm pushing down with my, just my hand, I can't break through the table because it doesn't have enough pressure to break in between it. Okay, whereas the pin will do because it has a smaller area. So it exerts more of a pressure. Okay, so 
Next, we're going to talk about the ideal gases. So how to understand the different gas laws, we need to assume that everything is kind of an ideal gas. Now, no gas really is an ideal gas, but under some certain conditions, they do act as an ideal gases. So we're going to talk about that. So an ideal gas is a gas that conforms to an idealized relationship, duh, ideal gas, between pressure, volume, and temperature. Now, this is called the ideal gas law, this relationship between pressure, volume, and temperature. This is the equation if you've never seen it it's called the ideal gas law pv equals nrt now to break that down a little bit pressure times volume equals the amount of stuff basically the moles inside that gas mixture times a rate constant um which can differ but we're going to use 0 0.08206 um times temperature so basically an ideal gas is one that conforms to that ratio so the assumption um, of the ideal gas law is that one, a particle consists of a large number of mo molecules which are in random motion and only and obey Newton's laws of motion. So if we've forgotten um, from, we did talk about this in our classical mechanical episode, but Newton's laws of motions are one, it does not, the velocity and the, like, an object will, basically an object will stay in motion unless a f opposite or a force acts upon it. So, that's basically saying that things tend to stay in the state they're in until external force is applied. So second is that F equals MA, basically forces related to the mass um, times the acceleration. Uh, the third one is that the, there's an equal and opposite force for every single force. Uh, so those are the Newton's laws of motion. So basically an ideal gas is one that consists of a large number of molecules, which are in random motion, random motion is key, and obey Newton's laws of motion. So two, the volume of the molecules is neg negligible. <laughs> I can never say this word negligibly. Okay, uh, small, you know what I mean. Small compared with the volume occupied by the gas. So basically the volume of the molecules, that means the size of the molecules, it's so small compared with how big the gas is that it's negligible. So basically the that means that increases, this assumption will be better at higher volumes. So three, no forces act on the molecules except during elastic collisions of negligible duration. So basically, the molecules, while they're moving around in the container, they will bump into each other, but that's the only force that can be described or exerted upon those molecules. So whenever they collide with each other, um, it's elastic, so that means that momentum and kinetic energy are conserved. So basically, one if one stops, the other will take on the full momentum of the other one, basically making sure that these collisions are elastic, and that's the only force acting upon them. So forces, this will be, in non-ideal gases, this can be occur because forces such as electrostatic attraction can occur, uh, magnetism, basically any forces that act upon those gas particles would make it non-ideal. So um, again, this would happen at smaller volumes because there's less of a distance between each particle, so the attraction would be higher, or at particles with high electronegativity, or um, when the particles have an, are subjected to intense pressure, which usually means that the volume is lower. Or if at really, really slow temperatures, because when the molecules are moving really, really, really fast, they the, the kinetic molecular energy, which is, remember, temperature is just average kinetic energy, basically that energy is so high, they're moving so fast, that it can overcome any electrostatic attractions. So basically, the ideal gas, the assumptions, pretty much exist best at high temperatures, low pressures, and high volumes. So, um, the, it works, as I said, it works at sufficiently at high temperatures and low pressures, so when relatively low, large distances between the molecules and their high speeds overcome any interaction between the molecules. That's really, really important. So the gas laws, these are what are we even using? It's kind of like the ideal gas law is a 
collection or an intercommutation, I just messed up that word so much, a conglomeration of all of the gas laws into one. First gas law we're going to start off with is spoil laws. And remember, the gas laws, they don't work or the gas won't obey these laws if it's close to its condensation point, which is basically the point where it liquidifies. So basically, it, as I already said, the assumptions work when the temperature is higher. So if the temperature is low enough for it to be at its, at its condensation point, it's no longer going to obey these gas laws, duh, because it's no longer going to be gas. Makes sense. Okay, so first one, Boyle's Law. He basically said that pressure and volume are inversely related and uh, consisted at consistent temperatures and the moles of the gas. So basically, while you keep cons like temperature and the amount of gas the same, the pressure and volume will be inversely related. Now, this is really, really important. It so if you think about it in an equation way, it's PV equals K, which is the constant for the given sample at a specific temperature. Or... Um, P equals K divided by V, shows that they're inver inversely related. So basically, this is really, really important for respiration because basically how you're, how you're able to breathe is that you expand your diaphragm and your intercostal muscles, open up that thoracic cavity, increase the amount of air that your lungs can expand to, basically the alveoli expand, um, that increases the volume, which decreases the temperature. Because remember, inverse relationship, that difference in temperature will be from difference in temperature in the lungs and the external um, atmosphere, which is that one atmosphere, the higher pressure from the atmosphere pushes the lung, the air inside the lungs, which is then able to basically you're breathing it. Now, how it, you breathe out is that the alveoli, we'll go into this more when I talk about the respiratory system, but the alveoli actually have this elastin that covers them, which forces them to spring back. Um, and then they close. It's more of a passive process than inhalation. The intercostal muscles, they like stop contracting. They go, the diaphragm goes up. Basically, the pressure inside because the volume decreases so the pressure inside increases compared to outside so now the air goes out that's inhalation in so this is basically following Boyle's law that's very really important so what this can also use is that pressure of once so like if you have the pressure and volume and then you want to find the new volume at the new pressure you can also use that so like p1 times v1 will equal v2 times p2 so basically you can find out like the new volume if you change any of the variables just pressure and volume, sorry. So next law, Charles law. This states that volume and temperature in Kelvin, remember we use Kelvin because we're sciences, we're science peoples, we use Kelvin. I just said we're sciences, that's funny. Okay, so volume and temperature in Kelvin are directly proportional at a constant pressure and amount. So remember, basically each of these laws is going to be changing um, two variables instead of and keeping the other two constant. So this states that V equals B times T. Now, V is obviously going to be volume, T is going to be temperature, B is the constant, kind of like K from Boyle's Law, but B is for Charles' Law. Now, um, Kelvin is actually the same degrees as Celsius, so they have the same degree system, but Kelvin is adding 273 because Kelvin is zeroed at absolute zero. Um, so it's basically the same as Kelvin, but we use Kelvin because we're fancy science people. Okay, so this one can also has another indication like Boyle's Law where you can have V1 over T1, because remember they're directly proportional, equals V2 over T2. So you can just use it if you change one of the variables. Next one we're going to move on to is Avogadro's law. Now he's the guy, if you've ever heard him, avocado, his constant. He It was 6.022 times 10 to the 23. Now if you don't know what that is, that's the number of atoms in a mole. It's basically an amount that we can quantify for to make calculations and the quantification of molecules easier. Because molecules are tiny, so we need a large amount that can make our calculations easier. So... He stated that at equal volumes of gases at the same temperature and pressure contain the um, same number of particles. So basically volumes and number of particles of, or moles is directly related. 
So um, V equals A times N, which V equals volume, N equals number of moles, or the amount of the substance of gas, and A is the constant again, like B and K. So um, all of these laws, Avogadro's law, Boyle's law, and Charles' law, these can all be brought back into the ruler law, which is PV equals NRT. If you remember, pressure and volume inversely related, so PV equals NRT. T is directly proportional to both pressure and volume, so T is going to be other on the other side of the equation, and velocity, volume is directly related to moles, which will also be on the other side. So R is actually the combined proportionality constant of, remember, A, B, and K. So it's basically all those constants combined into one. That's R. It's kind of a cool little dude. Okay. Now, normally this is done at standard pressure, which is also abbreviated STP, which is 273 degrees Celsius, or I said Celsius, sorry, Kelvin, or zero degrees Celsius, and at one atmosphere, which is the standard um, temperatures, I mean, not temperature, pressure. It's basically, as you might have guessed, the pressure of our atmosphere. Okay, so, well, specific to a specific area, but you get what I mean. One atmosphere, that's the pressure. That's also 760 um, millimeters mercury and tor. Okay, so... Uh, the molecular volume of gas is actually 22.42 liters of gas at, um, at STP. So basically, when you're at STP, a gas will, the one mole will fill 22.42 liters. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the molar ma mass of gas. So the molar mass is the relative atomic mass of an element multiplied by the molar mass constant. So basically, what's the saying is that, as we know, because of isotopes, one at one element will not just have one mass it'll have a bunch of different isotopes which will have different masses so you basically find the average of all of those do um compared to their abundance so like one say we have like uh okay so think of hydrogen there's two forms there's i think it's hydrogen and deuterium which are it's two stable um well not stable but two isotopes there's hydrogen which has a mass of one because it has a proton basically and then deuterium which has a mass of two because it has a proton and a neutron and we're gonna get into this i'll do this a little bit differently when i talk about like um the history of the atom and stuff but basically different isotopes they have different masses so what happens is that hydrogen is a lot more uh common than deuterium so what's uh basically gonna happen is that like i think it's like 99 percent. so you have 99 percent so 0.99 times 1 plus 0 0.01 times 2, and that'll be the average mass. So basically that's the molar mass, and then it's multiplied by constant because we have to define what molar mass is. It's not the actual weight, like in pounds or grams or anything. It's um, an AMU. So this is defined, the standard is where 12, the molar mass of carbon 12 will be 12 well, 0.01 uh, molar mass. So basically carbon 12 was the standard. So you have to multiply by this molar mass constant to make a molar mass. Okay, so the molar mass of a gas will be the density times the R constant times the temperature divided by the pressure. And that's in grams per mole. Okay, so moving on to another law is Dalton's law of partial pressures. So this, he's basically stated, you might know Dalton from like the atomic theory, but he basically stated that for a mixture of gases in a container, the total pressure of a gas is the sum of all the par partial pressures of the gas particles. So the the partial pressure of a gas is the pressure that the gas exerts if it, as if it were on its own in the container. So basically the par total pressure equals like total partial pressure of one molecule of, of one part of that gas of parts another one. So P total equals P1 plus P2 plus three. Um, so basically um, you can also do the pressure total equals the total amount of moles. So like combined number of moles of all the gases times the rate constant times temperature divided by volume. So basically using PVR equals on RT, but using it for the partial pressures. 
So for a mixture of ideal gases, the total number um, of moles of particles is important, not the identity. So it's only in the moles that matters, not the identity of the gas. And the volume of the ideal particles and the forces among the particles are not very important in this ide like idealized state. So when two gases are present, the total pressure is the sum of the partial pressures of those two gases. So as I said, partial pressure basically just um, add it all together, you get the total pressure of the system. So, like, say I had a mixture of gases that was, like, hydrogen and helium. The partial pressure of hydrogen is, like, two atmospheres, and the partial pressure of helium is six atmospheres. Now, that can be, is directly proported, um, relational, directly proportional to their molecular density in that gas and the number of moles. So, um, basically, if you have two of hydrogen plus six of helium, you get eight total pressure. So partial pressures added together equals the total pressure. Moving on, the mole fraction. That's the ratio of the number of moles of a given compound in a mixture to the total number of moles in the entire mixture. It's kind of like partial pressure, but with moles. So the mole fraction is actually related to the par partial pressure. So the mole fraction of each component in a mixture of ideal gas is directly related to its partial pressure. So say you have your mole fraction, which is actually um, symbolized by this thing called chi. It's like a lowercase chi from Greek. It's always Greek. So chi equals or partial or mole fraction equals um, the molar ratio. So N1 over N total. So the number of moles of that one particle of that one molecule, sorry, um, or gas or whatever. Yeah. So part of the mixture divided by the total number of moles equals that it's partial pressure over the total pressure. So they're directly proportional. So we've done all the gas laws. We've done all of those. Now we're going to talk about why they work under the guise of the kinetic molecular theory. We're tying together two of our both of our ideals. So first one, Boyle's law derived, um, determined by the kinetic molecular theory. So basically it says that a decrease in volume means the gas particles will not hit the wall as often and the pressure in will basically decrease. So if you have a, sorry, the pressure will increase because if the decrease in volumes means that the gas particles will hit the wall more often. Sorry, I said that wrong. Because it's a small, basically think about it. You got, um, say you had like 50 people in a room and the room's really, really big. If they're walking around, around just a random path, they're not going to hit the wall as often as say if they were in like a room half that size. They're going to bump into more shit. They're going to bump into each other. They're going to bump into the walls. They're going to hit each other more often. So the pressure will increase. Um, think about it as like the pressure is the agitation of the people. That will increase because they keep bumping into stuff. Okay. So that's how Boyle's Law is determined by the kinetic molecular theory. So saying that they're basically pressure and volume are inversely relational. So next one, Guy Lussac's law. He was the one who um, related pressure and temperature. So as temperatures increased, the speed of the particle increases and the particles will hit the wall more often and with more force. So pressure will increase because remember pressure is just the definition of how many times, like the number of collisions and the force of those collisions that occur in a wall, in a um, container of gas. So next, Charles law. So that relates volume and temperature. So as volume increases, the speed of the particles increases. Um, basically, the particles hit the wall more with greater force and more often. And the only way to have the pressure be constant is to increase the volume. Because if the, you, if they're hit, if the temperature is increasing, the speed of the particles increase, that means they're going to be bumping off faster and they'll have a higher propensity to hit those walls and create those collisions. But the, that to keep the volume, to keep the pressures the same at that higher volume, temperature you have to increase the volume so basically they're moving faster and they're gonna hit the wall more fast so you gotta expand because if you expand it'll go it'll kind of level it out because they're more they're moving more fast but now they have more room okay 
Next one, Avogadro's law, which is volume and number of moles. Basically, the number as the number of moles increases, that increases, it causes the pressure to increase because again, it's kind of like you have more particles now, so they're gonna hit the wall more often because there's more particles. So the only way to keep the pressure constant is to increase the volume again. So next one is we're gonna talk about those are all the gas laws related by kinetic molecular theory. So now we're gonna talk about what temperature actually means. So we have the kinetic energy. Um, it's equal to 3 over 2, so 3 halves, times the rate times the temperature. So that's basically just the kinetic energy. So that's how we determine kinetic energy from temperature. So um, next, we're going to talk about root mean square velocity. So this is the root mean square velocity. It's kind of like the average velocity of the particles. Just think of it that way. It's proportional to, it's inversely proportional to the square of their mass. So the square root of 3 times the rate times the t for times the temperature divided by the mass. So basically, lighter particles will move faster, and lower particles, um, heavier particles will move slower. So the rate in this one is actually different. It's 8.3145 joules per mole. You've got to remember that in this equation, it's a different R value. Okay, moving on. We're going to talk about the path of the particle. So we talked about the velocity. We're going to talk about the path of the particle in the gas. So any given particle will continuously change its course as a result of all the collisions with all the other particles, as well as with the walls of the container. So this means that, like, as you could have guessed, the particle isn't it isn't just going to be traveling straight because it has all these things that it's colliding with. Um, so the average distance a particle travels between collisions in a particle gas sample is called the mean free path. Basically, you can think about it as like mean average free not hitting in things and path is where it's going. So mean free the mean free path is the average distance it travels when it's not colliding. So um, that kind of is obviously going to be proportional to the volumes, the number of moles, and the pressure that. Um, and also the temperature, because if they're traveling faster, they're going to bump into more things. Okay, now we're going to move on to effusion and diffusion. So diffusion is the mixing of gases at random from high concentration to low concentration. Now this makes sense, because if you have a higher concentration of things, they're going to want to spread out to areas of lower confrontation, concentration just purely by chance. Because if you're in a really, really high concentration, say I have, remember those people in that room? They're all like in a small circle. That's where they're concentrated highly. But then as slowly as they walk around and bump around, they're going to find areas of lower concentration just purely by chance and where it, like how it's going to work out. So you can try this out. I recommend it. Just put a bunch of blindfolds on a bunch of people and push them around a room and see how they go. Okay. Effusion. That's describing the passage of a gas of a gas through a tiny orifice into an evacuated chamber. So basically it's saying the rate of um, effusion is proportional to the size of the gas. Well, inversely proportional. Because if you think about it, how fast something's moving through a tiny thing, like through a little tiny little orifice, will be proportional or disproportional to its size. Because if I'm bigger and I'm trying to get through a small hole, like if I'm trying to get through a keyhole and I'm a mouse, it'll be a lot easier than if I'm trying to get through a keyhole and I'm me. Just I'll move a lot faster. I might be able to get through it. I mean, I might, but it'll be slower. Okay. Next, we're going to talk about Graham's Law. Now, this is another thing about rate, um, and uh, it's basically the description of the rate div proportional to the mass. So, it says that the rate of one gas is inversely proportional to its mass squared, the root of its mass. So, it's saying that the rate of gas one divided by the rate of the second gas will be equal to, remember, inversely proportional, so the second mass squared, I mean, square root of the second mass divided by square root of the first mass. So, they're, diff they're inversely proportional. So basically, the relative rates of effusion of two gases at the same temperature and pressure, remember, got to keep those constant, and it is the inverse ratio of the square roots of their masses. 
So, um, in non-ideal gases, uh, we're going to go back to, like, we're going back, we're done with effusion and diffusion, and we're, I just remembered that I want to go back to talking about ideal gases. So, when you're talking about non-ideal gases, you have to correct for the volume of the gas and the pressure of the gas. Now, this is because the pressure of the gas can be changed by intermolecular forces. So, basically, uh, if you have a greater amount of intermolecular forces, like a higher electronegativity, say like in water, that pressure is going to change. You must account for it because the collisions aren't going to be happening as like, it won't be the same amount as if they were not as if they were ideal because if they we assume that there's no intermolecular forces then the particles aren't going to have any relation or force between each other this goes back to the ideal that the assumption that there can't be any forces between them acting on them except for the elastic collisions but when you're talking about inter like intermolecular forces those will change and cause the basically the atoms and the molecules to be attracted to each other like especially in molecules with high electronegativity like water and oxygen those will affect the path and the basically velocity of the particles because they're going to be attracted to each other and that'll either slow them down or speed them up depending on the consequence so you have to account for um pressure next you also have to account for volume because remember we said that we assume that volume of the molecules is negligible well sometimes it isn't sometimes we have to account for that so the larger the molecule the more we have to account for so remember we have to account for both volume and temperature now how uh, not temperature pressure so how we do this is we have the actual new ideal gas formula which is that pressure or real pressure um so the pressure observed plus a times n divided by v squared so a times n divided by v that's basically accounting for um that's the accounting for pressure and then times v minus nb that's accounting for volume so basically you're adding in new variables to account for it and they're each specific to the gas um or the molecule because they have different like for instance volume will be different of those gases and electronegativity will be different so you have to they're basically constants determined determined by what gas it is and that will be equal to nrt so remember ideal gases pv equals nrt non-ideal gases i'm not going to say the formula again because i just had to remember it and now i forgot it but basically you have to account for the pressure and the volume because they're not always going to obey those assumptions so that's all i wanted to talk about today remember we have basically we got the gases, there's ideal ones that we usually use for um, for calculations in science because it's just easier. And a lot of the times we can assume because if they're at high temperatures and lower pressures, that's when the ideal gases will obey their laws. So we have Boyle's law, which was pressure and volume. We have Charles' law, which is volume and temperature. We got Avogadro's law, which is moles and volume. So we got all those. Just try to remember them, and I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I honestly did it for a bit of a selfish reason. I got a chem test, and this is I was really enjoying this studying. I want to go deeper into it, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Maybe it'll help you if you're in a chem test, so just you're, you got this. Um, just wanted to let you know, do some housekeeping, that we do have an email. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you just want to recommend a topic, that's going to be scienceunscripted at 13 at gmail.com. So give us a rate, give us a review. Um, let us know how we're doing. Um, I hope you guys have a really, really lovely day. And I hope you continue enjoying being a little science enthusiast. Have a nice day, guys. See you next time.